Well, we are learning to walk by faith as we begin a new year. Uh, many of us have made some decisions to take some new steps, and I wanted to encourage us from the Word. What does it mean to walk by faith? Last week, we left off in Exodus chapter 14. If you want to start turning there in your Bibles, you can. We looked at the journey of Israel out of the bondage of Egypt. We saw how what happened historically, literally, is also a picture spiritually. That what we look in their journey, they would model for us the ups and downs, the roller coaster ride of a journey of faith, is their faith in God to lead them out of years and years and years of bondage to the promised land. And as we look at their journey, we can learn from their history and we can learn his story in our lives through the faith example of Israel. You remember last Sunday, if you were here, that Israel marched out boldly. They started off. Maybe you've started year 2022 boldly with bold declarations and bold commitments of what's going to be different in this year. And it's easy to start off boldly. How do we finish well? Israel, the same way. They started off boldly, and they would quickly struggle in their faith to such a point that they said, you know what? We're done. This is too hard. This is too difficult. Uh, matter of fact, Moses, we want to go back. We want to go back to where we used to live. We want to go back to the bondage that we've forgotten that we were crying about, that we were broken in, and we asked God to deliver us. Ah, we'll settle for that. We'll go back to the familiar. Can I say to you this morning, as foolish as that was for Israel, it's just as foolish for you and I to go backwards in our faith. It's tempting. It's easy. We all think that. We all find ourselves struggling with that easy road versus a faith journey. So how do we get there and what does that look like? As you're fighting through those battles, there are going to be days you wake up and you feel like you're overwhelmed. You feel like there's no victory before you. How can you experience victory? Well, I'm glad these guys didn't give up. Here's some pictures of underdogs in history. Now, see how many of those you can recognize. And the screen may not do it justice. Over on the very far right, who do we have? You sure? Yeah, Winston Churchill. Uh, certainly there was a day and time in his leadership where the Germans were invading. They had had great victories in France right on their border and were soon going to be pressing in to England. And there was Churchill, and I wish you could see it better. It's a little blocked out. But do you remember what his victory sign was? When they finally experienced victory, that's where we get the peace sign. Now for you it was 60s and 70s, that might have meant something different, but it came from the days of victory in World War II. It was a great time of victory for this world. Bottom left is Muhammad Ali. Now most of us remember him as the great boxer he was. In that picture, that's him standing over Sonny Liston. He was an 8 to 1 underdog, wasn't even supposed to be in the fight. And he had great victory and became the greatest of all time. The very top, Super Bowl number Three, Joe Namath, uh, a, a cocky, bold, arrogant quarterback that nobody knew about from the University of Alabama, made his way into the NFL and promised victory over Johnny Unitas and the Indianapolis Colts. And uh, he delivered and had a great victory even though they were an 18-point underdog. Well, we have all kinds of examples from human history, but each one of them had a sign for Joe Namath as he's walking off. He's holding up the number one. For Muhammad Ali, he has that, that, that stance right over Sonny. Listen, I'm the champion. And then you find Winston Churchill with his sign. Well, what's the sign of our victory? What are the things that we see come with the victory that we experience? 
after every Super Bowl, and you can see in the next picture, this was last year's Super Bowl champ. Should have been the Dallas Cowboys. For some reason it wasn't. And so we find Tom Brady back at it again. And you'll hear this from every MVP of every Super Bowl. It goes all the way back to, I think, 1987. What are you going to do next? What's coming next? Another Super Bowl? Another championship? No, they're going where? They're going to Disney World. That's the famous last world words of what's next in their victory. Well, I want you to see this morning what's next for us. What was next for Israel is a picture of what was next for us. Before we get there, you've got your place held in Exodus 14. You can also turn to Romans chapter 8, or I'll put it on the screen. In Romans chapter 8, verse 37, it tells us that we also have been delivered from our bondage and that God has made us to be people not just destined for heaven, but that we are people of victory, victory over sin, victory over death and the grave, and victory over the bondage of sin. Look at Romans 8, 37. You probably know this verse well. In all things, God's word says this, that we are overwhelmingly conquer through him who loved us. Now, King James translates, we are more than conquerors. If you look at this verse, we are promised this issue of victory. We were designed not to just be saved from sin, but to also be victorious over sin. Look at two words there that ought to jump out at you, two parts of this scripture. One of the things we're learning on Wednesday nights is how to ponder on a verse, how to really dig in and look at some key truths. Well, Look at the next slide, it'll show you a a key part. Notice what he points to, Paul, under inspiration of the Holy Spirit, is reminding them, not only are you saved, but look at who you are in Christ. You are in all these things victorious. Now, look at the conditions, and go ahead and find me your issue that doesn't fall under all things. It's so easy to say, well, I understand that everybody else gets victory, but I got this struggle and I just can't experience victory. That's bull. Uh, That doesn't even jive with Scripture. That's not even possible. In all things in Christ, you have victory. The problem is we're not always in Christ. We'd rather be in our flesh. We'd rather be in our past. We'd rather be in our emotions and our feelings. But in Christ, in all things, here's the next promise. We overwhelmingly conquer like I said King James talks about that we are more than conquerors now as you look at that it means in every single thing you face in this lifetime now that you're in Christ you don't just have some victory you don't just occasionally have victory you don't have kind of victory he says you overwhelmingly conquer I love how it says it in the King James you're more than a conqueror as I've told you before there have been conquerors in human history There have been those who conquered, like Hitler conquered many nations during World War II. But he was eventually what? Conquered. He didn't win the war. He may have won battles, but he didn't win the war. Well, I want you to understand that in Christ, you're not just a conqueror. You're not just a person who has victory here, victory there, maybe over some battles, but maybe not all battles. No, you overwhelmingly conquer. There's nothing that can conquer you when you come to understand who Christ is in you. Watch this promise, 2 Peter chapter 1, verses 1 and 3. Look at this. Peter said it this way, Simon Peter, a bondservant and apostle of Jesus Christ, to those who have received a faith the same as ours. Now remember who God is using to write this. This is Peter. 
Did Peter lose some battles? Yeah. He lost some big battles, matter of fact. Uh, he would deny Christ three times, cuss him out to his face. He failed in his faith. He wasn't always victorious, but that was before Pentecost. Now we find Peter, who is filled with the Holy Spirit, uh, inspired by the Holy Spirit to pen these truths. Speaking to those of us who've received a faith just like his, faith in Jesus Christ. Look at verse 3. He says, see this, see this, open your eyes, understand this, that his divine power has granted to us, what? Everything. His divine power that raised him from the dead, that divine power that lives in our lives because we have received Christ into us, we now have that power living in us. He's given us everything, watch this, pertaining to life and godliness. And yet there are so many Christians who look to Jesus for victory to get them to heaven, but they don't look for victory to get them through this earth. They don't understand that victory comes, there are battles every single moment of every single day, and God has given you everything you need to live this life and to experience godliness. Everything you need. And yet the enemy would try to convince you that you need more of God, or you need this, or you're missing that, or you need a, a second blessing, or you need... You have everything you need for life and godliness. And why aren't we living in that? Why aren't we experiencing the victories? Well, ask Israel the same question. The same God who led them out of Egypt, the same God who was leading them through the wilderness, they still found themselves doubting that God and caving in times of struggle. So we're in Exodus chapter 14. Let's learn lessons. Let's see what the signs of our victory are and see if we can let God do what God does. Verse 21. You're in Exodus chapter 14. In verse 21. So they have been at the Red Sea. They are trapped by the greatest army that the world has ever known to that point in human history. The select chariots and all of Pharaoh's army have them surrounded. They're trapped and there's no way out. No way for them to have victory in that moment. But God. Watch it. Moses stretched out his hand over the sea. The Lord swept the sea back by a strong east wind all night, and he turned the sea into dry land so that the waters were divided. The sons of Israel went through the midst of the sea on the dry land, and the waters were like a wall to them on their right and on their left. In verse 23, the Egyptians took up pursuit. All Pharaoh's horses, his chariots, his horsemen went in after them into the midst of the sea. And at the morning watch, the Lord looked down on the army of the Egyptians through the pillar of fire and cloud, and brought the army of the Egyptians into confusion. Now, try to put yourself in that context. It's, it's really hard to natural man put himself in a supernatural experience, but this is crazy. You're hanging out with all the people you've grown up with for years in Egypt. You now have been set free. You're marching out boldly, but now you're in trouble. Now you're facing a battle you can't physically win. Moses says, we're going to do nothing, we're going to trust God, God's going to deliver us, and all of a sudden this miracle happens and the Red Sea is parted. A lot of people have debated this miracle, is this just a story, is this one of those pastor stories that just sounds really good? That couldn't happen, and they've gone back and looked at geography, and I even showed you the map of their wanderings, and they want to go to this little creek part. And they want to say, well, that's, that's got to be where it happened, and, and it parted, and, and, and that's even more of a miracle if you think about it. If a whole army can be drowned in a little creek, come on, man, if you want to go there, that's all right. But 
two to three million Israelites walked through it, and then it collapsed on an army. I believe it was a supernatural, spectacular miracle. And it says that it happened. Look at when the miracle happened. The miracle happened at a certain time. Yes, it's when they took their first step of faith. Yes, it's when they trusted God and they listened to his voice and they took that first step forward and they began to march to the other side. But notice when God brought confusion to the Egyptians. When was it? It was at the morning watch. Now, what's that mean? What's the morning watch? Well, the morning watch in our culture means a lot of different things. For some of us, that means 10 a.m. Can I get an amen from the late risers? The morning watch in Scripture was a different part. It was the end of the evening. It was that darkest time right before the break of dawn. I think that's a little interesting. That while they were faith in God, it was dark. Not just literally, but even emotionally. They're full of fear. They are uh, overwhelmed by the enemy. It it doesn't look good. It, there's no way we make it through this. But God always makes a way. And God always shows up. It may be at the darkest hour. It may be at the pinnacle of what feels like the darkest moment of your life. But I want you to understand, that's when God shines the brightest. It was at the morning watch that he showed up. And as these battles wage on, God is the one who brings light in that time of darkness. But what happens next? What happens when we experience that victory. What happens when we are breaking away out of that issue of a battle with the enemy or a battle with uh, perhaps an overwhelming habit, whatever that might be, what happens next? Go to Exodus 14 and verse 30. So the Lord saved Israel that day, not Moses, not their faith, but the one they placed their faith in. Uh, you'll hear from TV preachers that the way to victory is mustering up more faith. You just it's your faith that brings the victory. I want you to understand, no, it's who we place our faith in. It's God who always brings the victory. But we're in God. Through Christ, we're in him, and that's why we are more than conquerors. They had to learn that. So the Lord saved Israel that day from the hand of the Egyptians. And Israel saw the Egyptians dead on the seashore, wiped out, totally devastated and destroyed. And when Israel saw the great power which the Lord had used against the Egyptians... The people feared the Lord. They believed in the Lord and in his servant, Moses. These battles that we encounter, the testing of our faith, is actually used by the Lord to deepen our faith, to grow our faith. I look out among this audience and I look into faces and I've heard your stories. I, I, I've prayed with you through many of those dark moments. And we can all look back and we can see, man, only God. Only God brought us through that. Only God could give us victory in this or that or whatever it might be. And our faith has grown because of those battles. Now, I know we pray our way out of the battle. I hope that we'll learn to pray differently in our battles. We don't pray, Lord, keep me from the battles. Lord, be my champion and be my victory. Because the battles will always wage. Can I get an amen from an experienced audience? I think we figured that. But how do we respond? How do we move forward in our faith? This walk of faith, while we're growing in faith and we're walking step by step by faith, what is the sign of our victory? For Winston Churchill, it was this. For Joe Namath, it was this. For Muhammad Ali, it was this. What's our sign? Take a look at it. 
Go to the next chapter, chapter 15. Just took us two weeks to get through a chapter. That's all right. Verse 1. Then the Moses and the sons of Israel commissioned an army that from that day forward would be known as the replacement of the Egyptian army and would be the greatest military force on the planet. Is that what they did? Did they put together a uh, development committee to develop the promised land? Did they go marching straight in the promised land? No, they didn't go all the way there, but let me show you where they did go. It says that all of Israel, what they do next, sang this song. They got out on the other side. The enemy has been destroyed. God has brought them a victory. And what was their response? Corporate worship. Their response was to sing a new song. Their their response was to declare and to praise to God, their champion, and give him their praise. They didn't just do a party. They just didn't have one of those Super Bowl victory moments. They didn't have their own parade. Oh, look at what we've done against the Egyptians. No, they sang praise and gave their hearts of worship back to God. I would submit to you that the reason many of us don't continue to have victory in our lives is because we've not learned the power of a life of worship. Our heart response to the one who gives us victory over the enemy. Look at what they sang. I will sing the Lord, for he is highly exhausted. The horse and its rider, he is hurled on the sea. The Lord is my strength, my song, my salvation. They were singing a new song because this had never happened before. They'd never experienced this dimension of God and this dimension of victory. And as they were living out and experiencing this victory, it led to a heart response of worship. These people who were mumbling and grumbling, These people who were ready to go back to Egypt are now lifting their voices to God in praise. You say, well, uh, so what you're saying is I'm supposed to become a singer. I need to join. Well, get in on it. Don't tell me all two or three million of Israel had good voices. Don't tell me they were soloists. Don't tell me they were gifted that. It isn't about the gift of the voice. It isn't about the sound of the voice. It's about the voice of the heart. And all of Israel joined together with one heart to worship God in that moment. That was their next step. I want to encourage you in this year to become a worshiper. Become a person of victory that experiences victory on a daily basis. And then your heart response is a life of worship. Now let's handle a couple misconceptions. What we need to understand, first misconception in our culture... When we say the word worship, we think of a Sunday morning experience. We think of a praise band. We think of a choir. We think of praise singers. We think of all those things, and that that's what worship is. And we have a 945 worship, and we have 1105 worship. In churches today, there's contemporary worship, and there's traditional worship. And we put all these labels, and we have defined worship as a one-dimensional thing that happens on Sunday morning, which may not or may happen on a Sunday morning. And we've made it about songs... Rather than about him, yeah, yes, they were singing a song. But the main point is their response was a heart of worship. To worship God with all that they wore in that moment for what God had done. John chapter 4, verses 23 through 24, Jesus speaks about you and me in the day and age in which we live. He teaches about worship. Listen to this. He says, an hour is coming... And now is when the true worshipers will worship, 
In other words, Jesus said there's all kinds of worship in this world. There's idolatry, false worship. There's cult worship. There is religious worship like the Pharisees were doing and, and Israel was even doing on their watch. But it wasn't true worship. Jesus said, I want you to understand, there will be a day on this planet when true worship exists. And it isn't the difference between 945 and 1105. It isn't the difference between Oklahoma or New York City. It is the difference of the heart. For worshipers, true worshipers, will worship the Father in spirit and in truth. For such people, the Father seeks to be his worshipers. Did you know that God is seeking out those who want to live in victory and want to worship him in spirit and in truth? God is spirit, and those who worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. Before Pentecost, they couldn't worship in the spirit because the spirit wasn't in them. The spirit would come upon them. The spirit was in the world, but it wasn't spirit-filled worship. For those of us who know Christ, this side of his resurrection, we understand that when we accept Christ, the spirit of God comes to live in us. We are filled with the spirit, and we worship in spirit and in truth. Now, you can worship in church, and I pray you are. I pray you do. You can worship at home. You can worship in your car. I know it's more difficult there than most places, but you still can. You can, do, you can worship anywhere. Because it's not a matter of what you know as worship at church. It's the worship of your heart. That word worship in the Greek is a unique word. The word that was used there, you would expect it to be a very formal, a very holy word. It's actually a very common word in the Greek. That word is proskuneo, and it literally is the same word like a dog that licks the hand and face of its master. Now, I'm not saying it's that casual. What I'm saying is, and you get it, if you got a dog, if you've ever had a dog, a good one. There's some honorary ones, some that need Jesus as well. But, but if you've ever had a good dog, man's best friend, you get it. You, you, you don't have to give much attention to that critter. And that dog will love you regardless. And there's some of you, you've come to understand, that dog treats me better than my own kin. And that bond that is there. But, but you look at that example of a dog and how he responds to his master, the, the overwhelmed, that tail is wagging, their, their, their fur is fluffy, and they're warm and huggy, and, and they come running to their master. They just want relationship with the master. The word that's used here by Jesus is it's that kind of heart response, that, that response of, God, I love you more than anything on this planet. Well, now we can get distracted. We can get all distracted by the bones and the uh, the cats that we want to, in, in all the stuff of this world, but, but there's, still that, there's still that connection between a dog and their master. And Jesus said, that's what real worship looks like. It's that kind of love and it's that kind of devotion, and it's always an expression. It's an expression. You can see it in the eyes of that dog and in the response of that dog, unless they've gotten aged. Or unless they might happen to, I'm not even going to mention a certain breed that I'm still bitter towards that's uh, caused me a few issues over the years. But for the most part, you see the joy, the excitement, and the zeal in their response. Does the Lord see that in us? 
Over the years of ministry, I've been in numerous churches, been blessed by a lot of great congregations, a lot of great people, but I've seen in every single church so many people who miss out on their victory expression. They're either intimidated because they don't think they have a good voice, maybe they don't know a song. It isn't about the song. It isn't about your voice. It's about our victory and the one who gives us our victory. That's why we sing. That's why we do it. That's why Israel did it. They had something to sing about. Do you have something to sing about? Maybe you don't. And if you don't have anything to sing about, go ahead and sit there. You can be a Baptist all day long if you want to. Go ahead. Miserable experience. Or you can cut loose in a Baptist church. Because we do have victory. And we do have a God who deserves our kiss. Our master is a good, good master. And so we look at this verse and Jesus taught us about true worship and our response not just the song that we sing it's not just in a church that we sing it's in spirit that's the first note our response in victory is to walk in the spirit live in the spirit and worship from the spirit he said they will worship me not in the synagogue not in Jerusalem but in the spirit what does that mean well it means number one it can take place anywhere anytime it can take place person to person experience between we the dog and he, the master. Anywhere we are, at any moment, at any time. For Israel, it happened on the other side of the Red Sea. In other times in Israel history, they'll have new songs to sing because there were new battles and there were new victories, but they were always responding with a heart of worship. It comes from our spirit. Now, if you look at the next slide, uh, here's what we have to be careful of. When we were created in the image of God, we were created with a triune representation of his nature we have three in one body soul and spirit there is the body which represents the physical there is the soul which represents the emotional and feelings and then there's the spirit before Christ we were spiritually dead we were dead in our sin we needed to be born again and when we are born a second time when we come to know Christ we invite Christ in our life the spirit of God comes and we are born of the spirit now we are three cylinders, complete, whole in him. The way most people will worship is what I call soul worship. They worship according to the emotion and the feeling of the moment. How did Israel worship God before the Red Sea? Oh, this is too hard. This doesn't feel good. This is too difficult. Oh, oh, it was so much easier in Egypt. And so they walked by their soul and not by the spirit. When you worship according to the soul, when you're letting your feelings and your emotions dictate your heart response, it will always lead you backwards. But Jesus said, now has come a time. It couldn't happen before then, but Jesus said, now the time has come where people can worship me how? In spirit. It is our heart response to the one who lives in us and the one that gives us victory as he lives through us. It is in the spirit. Number two, he said, they will worship me also in truth. The worship that we exude, the things that we worship God with, our songs, our lips, our service, come out of obedience to his truth and in line with his truth. It isn't in line with a new movement that's moving through the world or through a country or through churches. It's not designed by man. It is strictly structured in truth, worshiping him in spirit and in truth. Jesus also prayed about this in John chapter 17. 
Verses 17 through 19, Jesus praying, said this, Sanctify them, Father. He's praying to the Father. Sanctify them. Who's them? Those of us who'd be able to worship in spirit and truth. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. And as you have sent me into the world, I also have sent them into the world. For their sakes, I sanctify myself that they themselves also may be sanctified in what? Truth. As you live in the truth, as you walk by that truth, as you are guided by the word of God, which is a lamp to your back, that's where the victory comes. And as you experience that victory and as you experience the power of the Holy Spirit to honor the truth, the word of God, you live in that victory. And then what's the result? We walk forward in faith. We bring God the celebration of worship. Worship is not a song. It is a heart response to the Lord. We see this, Luke chapter 4. Turn over to Luke chapter 4. I want you to see another aspect of this heart response. This powerful concept called a life of worship. Don't let worship be only something you do on Sunday morning at PCBC. Let worship be something you do every breath you take. Because we're on the other side of the Red Sea. Because we have our victory and we have our champion. The Lord God Almighty. Look at Luke chapter 4. Jesus understood this. Verse 5, he was being tempted by the enemy in the wilderness. He was led up and showed him all the kingdoms of the world in a moment of time. And the devil said to him, I will give you all this domain and its glory, for it has been handed over to me. Satan was saying this, right now, I'm boss of this earth. Uh, Adam and Eve gave up the keys of dominion, domain. I, I, I am the God of this world. And Listen, you don't have to go to a cross. You don't have to suffer. You don't have to do all that stuff. Listen, I'll give it to you. We can just make it real simple right now. You're supposed to be the king of kings. You're supposed to rule and reign on this earth. How about I give that to you now? Let's skip the cross. Okay, what's the condition? He says, I can give it to whomever I wish. Therefore, if you worship before me, it will all be yours. The difference between victory and bondage. Jesus had a choice to make. He could have sold out. He could have taken the easy road. And he could have become king of this earth. Skipped a cross. But he would have been in bondage to the God of this world. Same is true for you and me. Every day you have a choice. You can worship the God of this world and the things of this world. You can fall for that trap, and it's easy, it's enjoyable for a season. It's pleasing to the eye, and it seems to be pleasing to the heart, but it only brings misery and destruction, bondage. Whoever commits sin becomes a slave to sin. But isn't it interesting that the condition was the issue of worship? You can have victory if you just worship me. You can have the easy way, just worship me. Jesus responded and said, no, it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God, watch this, what did he say next? And serve him. Jesus understood it's always been about the issue of worship. What was the issue in the garden? It wasn't the issue really of that fruit, the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. Really the issue was who you're going to worship. You're going to worship the one that gave you paradise? 
or are you going to worship your own desires? You're going to worship and listen to the serpent who wants to take you down a different path? You want to, you want to go your own way or do you want to have victory? You want to be sanctified in truth or live by the lie? And what started in the garden actually started in heaven when Lucifer rebelled against the Lord because he wanted the worship and he's been doing the same battle tactic ever since. Give me your worship and I'll give you this and you'll have that and oh this will be so good. The promises that are made, the issue is the issue of worship. But isn't it interesting what Jesus said? Not only is our response to be a heart of worship, but what does that heart of worship look like? You shall worship the Lord your God and serve him only. We worship God in spirit. We worship God in truth. And we worship God in a heart response of serving him. And we think we worship God by coming to church and being part of a worship service. Wrong, you missed it. God created you to experience his victory, to experience his joy, to experience freedom from bondage, and to serve the King of kings and the Lord of lords. Too many people don't have victory because they don't know the heart of worship. And they don't know what to do next. Yeah, I trusted Christ. What do I do next? Let God make you a worshiper. Let's pray with every head bowed and every eye closed. Victory in Jesus. Not victory in church membership, not victory in baptism, not victory in New Year's resolutions, but victory in Jesus. How did they get their victory at the Red Sea? It wasn't from anything they mustered up. It wasn't from their brute strength. It wasn't from their willpower to swim as hard as they could to the other side. No, their victory came through the power of God. At the morning watch, at the darkest hour. And maybe right now, you're at that place. You're at a dark place. Your heart is empty. Your heart is darkened with sin. You think there's no way God could love somebody like you, and yet God has declared through the ages and through the pages. Through the ages, 2,000 years ago on a cross, through the pages, God's word, these things have I written that you may know you have eternal life. Do you know that you have eternal life? Have you had that first step of victory? Victory over your sin, separating you from a holy God. If you have never experienced the salvation of God, you've never trusted Christ and invited him into your life, I would challenge you in this year, today, take that step. So how do I do that? The Bible says you just call on his name. You call out to God and say, God, save me. God, save me from the enemy and from my sin. God, I surrender my life to you. Tell him that. Make that your prayer in your own words. Maybe you're doing that right now online. I would encourage you to email us at ministry at pcbc.tv. Others of you in this space, there will be ministers here at the front. Come to one of them and say, you know, today I nailed it down. I've known about God, but today I know him. He has saved me from my sin. Maybe you just need to have a private altar right where you are. And maybe your prayer is, God, I, I've accepted you. I've been set free from bondage. But God, I've never really taken that next step of worshiping you in spirit and in truth. God, put in my heart a new song. God, this year, grow my heart of worship. The way I serve you, the way I love you, the way I live in this world, letting you be the Lord 
of my steps. Maybe that's your prayer. Maybe you just need somebody to pray with you or whatever it might be. When we stand, you can come. Maybe you want to come and you know somebody that needs an invitation to this beast feast. You might want to come and grab some cards and take those home with you to get to somebody that needs a heart change. Lord, may you be glorified in these moments. May you move powerfully in each and every one of our hearts, just like you did Israel on the other side of the Red Sea. Lord, do it now in Jesus' name.